are listening to Law and Gospel on this June the 2nd in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and it's Email Friday. By the way, if you want to write me with a question that we can answer, my new website, or I should say my new email address, is tombaker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. By the way, we're putting out a newsletter on Law and Gospel, and if you would like to have a copy, it's free. Just write me at tombaker at brick.net, and we'll put your name and address on there. It comes directly to your home. And it is going to be talking about the issue you'll be receiving next is how I do a sermon. What am I looking for when I do the readings for a particular Sunday? You may be surprised and how I start most of my sermons and how they end. So if you're at all interested, Tom Baker at brick.net, it's free and we'll be glad to send you the newsletter. First option today on an email is deliverance is not an option to set the captives free. Now, this is written by Stephen String, and he writes us, Jesus won our redemption on Calvary. He took away the shame of our sins long before we were born. But we must appropriate that wholeness into our lives. That's simply a way of talking about sanctification. Remember, justification is at that point where God declares you righteous in his sight because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Where did that faith come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. And so when you receive that faith, God declares you righteous, which means your sins are no longer held accountable to you. Now, Stephen goes on, we must take authority over Satan and renounce all control he might claim over us. Remember, that's what he did with Adam and Eve. He claimed more authority than God. No, you will become like God if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes, there still is a demonic power in this world and we have to be on guard against it. It is a power that is deceiving younger generations and swaying them away from God to the point that Generation Z is now the most atheistic generation yet. It is teaching them the love of sin instead of freedom from sin in Christ. It is an epidemic 
that most people shrug off or refuse to see as existing. Satan wants to teach us to love our sins and be comfortable in them because he doesn't want us to know how freeing a life Jesus is. He wants to keep us in bondage. And so many of us do fall for this trap. We are even falling into this snare by who we acknowledge is powerful. Uh, a recent survey found that more Americans believe in Satan than they do in God. Now, how can we understand that? For a Christian to say, I believe in God, this coming Sunday is Trinity Sunday. And that would mean I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But so many people have left the church. We talked about them as being nuns, N-O-N-E-S, people who are aimless in their life. They may be having a lot of problems, but they don't know how to solve them. And so they try to be happy and they try to use the earth as a way of solving their problems. But therefore they believe more in Satan than in the true God. No, we don't want to encourage anyone to be more concerned about the, what the devil is doing than how God is moving on this earth. The reality is that even among Christians, there is a level of satanic activity that must be dealt with as we live a spirit-led life. We seem to overlook the ministry of deliverance. What do we mean? Well, Jesus talked about that in the Great Commission found in Mark's Gospel. Not only did he say, go into all the world and preach the Gospel, but he also said, in my name, they will cast out demons. Now, we must be wary of strongholds and not demons alone. For example, bad habits often have other problems at their root, including strongholds in the mind or soul. The point is well made that strongholds at times are not just demons, because if they were, we could cast them out. But a stronghold is like a beachhead from which Satan tries to attack us. Another way to see it, it is as a dungeon that contains unhealthy thought patterns. At the center of any stronghold is the idea that runs contrary to the nature and character of God. This is something that needs to be really looked at when we looked at sanctification because a spirit-led life is really 
done in an upside down world. That idea may be any number of faithless thoughts like those that can form the center chamber of a stronghold. Sometimes what appears to be a sexual problem is really a stronghold of insecurity or fear. Then there's the inner wall of reasoning and human logic. This is very important. This is built when we try to fight a stronghold on human terms with arguments. I mean, how many times have you talked to someone who is living in an unrepentant lifestyle and they try and argue, but we love each other as though love is okay to sin. The inner wall can become a barrier to getting out of the stronghold because no matter how much we think about it, we cannot will it away. It will not budge. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Strongholds are supernaturally built and must be torn down by supernatural means. And that's where the Bible comes in. What we mean by supernatural is that which goes beyond the natural. In other words, a lot of people only believe it if they have the evidence for it. But when you receive faith from the Holy Spirit, whatever the Bible says, you will believe. We really have an outer wall of pride that keeps us from victory. The pride sometimes leads to fear and others may find out about our problem. Perhaps this will is built when we grow fond of our pet sin or when we brag about it. The kind of thinking the Bible calls a high thing that exists itself and exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I'm really surprised looking at the YouTube FBI files, how many people are caught because they did a crime, because they end up bragging about it to their friends. Now, why would they do that? You would think they'd be totally quiet about it. But you see, it's a way of giving them security. It's a way of getting them to think that what I did, well, the Bible may call it a sin, but I don't. It's just part of my natural life. If we are to be free from sin, we cannot fear what others will think. We must be willing to throw down our pride and admit who we really are to ourselves and to others.
that occurs in proper worship in a church. Remember, many worship services begin with a confession of sin. I, a poor and miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities. And we say that in front of all the congregational members. Now, we may not particularly speak of a particular area of weakness, but we do say we sin by thought, word, and deed. Instead of encouraging those around us to live in their sin, we must show them there is a way that leads to true life. There is a place where living waters spring forth, and that is found in the person of Jesus Christ, because he's the one who said, come to me and I will give you the waters of life. So that's our first email. The, the second email is seeking's God will versus idolatry. This is by Jerry McLaughlin. In Christian doctrine, he says, the central objective of our spiritual life is to seek and adhere to God's will. If you want to know more about what that means, continue to listen to the programs on KFUO. And you may have friends who live too far away to hear the radio, but you can tell them they can still get what's on KFUO by going to the internet, typing in kfuo.org, and then clicking the listen button, and you can hear the program, even if you're in Africa or Asia or in Australia. And this will help you to understand God's will. It is a pursuit that is understood to bring us closer to the divine essence and align our lives with Christ's teaching. But when we deviate from this spiritual course, knowingly or unknowingly, we veer towards idolatry, which Christianity recognizes as a grave sin. In fact, as we have said many times on Law and Gospel, the one sin that is done every time we sin is the breaking of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In the heart of the Christian faith, there is a reverence for the sovereignty of God, the belief in a single deity. And he has three characteristics which are noted in the Athanasian Creed this Sunday for Trinity Sunday. He is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. And he's omnipresent. 
Now, those are really important characteristics that Jesus in his humanity now has, having ascended into heaven. He's omnipotent because he holds power over Satan and his promise that all things will work together to our good is fulfilled. He's omniscient in that he can read your heart. Uh, remember as we were looking at the book of Proverbs by Solomon, God doesn't read your deeds by what you do, but by your motivation. He can read your heart and he's omnipresent. We don't believe in a God who kind of created the world and is up in heaven and has no relationship with those of us on earth. No, he's omnipresent in our lives. That's why we can pray to him for help in any situation. And being omnipresent, we can receive his very body and blood in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So, when we drift away from seeking God's will, we inadvertently elevate other pursuits, desires, or entities to the position of being more important than faith in God. We thereby create gods that compete with the one true God. This is the essence of idolatry. So idolatry is not limited to bowing down before graven images. In the modern context, idolatry often takes more subtle forms. We may trust in our money, in our power, in our fame, in our possessions, in our relationships, in our conceived ideologies, or even in ourself, that become, becomes an idol. All these take precedence over our seeking of God's will. The Apostle Paul underscores this in his letter to the Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, how do we put to death those sins? We do so by a life of repentance. Repentance is more than just feeling bad about what we have done. It is grief as to what we have done to put Jesus on the cross because he was on the cross for your sins, paying for them. So seeking God's will is not merely about understanding the commandments of God. It entails a continual inward journey of self-examination 
and transformation by the Holy Spirit, discerning where our loyalties and desires truly lie. Again, the Apostle Paul affirms this in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This discernment given to us by the Holy Spirit helps us to realize when we are at the risk of idolatry and guides us back to seeing God's will. It is important now to acknowledge the inherent challenges of this spiritual journey because we're human beings living in a fallen world. We continually face a myriad of distractions and temptations. Straying from God's will, that means sinning, is not uncommon, but it should not lead to despair. In those movements, it's essential to remember the teachings of Christ, who exemplified the joyful pursuit of God's will and the grace of God, which is extended to us despite our shortcomings. Remember, who did he forgive on the cross? He forgave not only those who were nailing him to the cross, but he even forgave the women who were following him and believed that in his death, they would have to give him a proper burial three days later. They did not believe he would rise from the dead as he had said. He was forgiving his disciples, except for John, who all were hiding in an upper room for fear of the Jews. He forgives you. And your forgiveness means there is no sin that you have done, thought, or said that Jesus did not pay for. He paid for it by his atoning blood. That is clear from the Old Testament, where many a time the sacrifice was given to God of a slain animal, a lamb, or a goat. And remember, their blood was put over the doorway of the Israelites when they were in captivity in Egypt. And what did that mean? It meant that the angel of death would pass over their house. That's why it's called the Passover. And the Israelites continued to celebrate that wonderful miracle where only those in the houses without blood over the doorway would have the death of the oldest male, whether a son or an animal. That happened to Pharaoh. His son died. 
And he was moved, therefore, to let the Israelites go for a moment. He soon began to chase them with his army. And here the Israelites were caught between his army coming down upon them and the Red Sea. And were they ever nervous? And they complained to Moses. Now, what kind of God do we have? We complain about our God. And what did the God do? Through Moses, he opened up the Red Sea and allowed the Israelites to cross over to safety. But then they saw that the Egyptian army was coming after them. And they were very afraid again until God, what did he do? He rolled the waters of the Red Sea over the army and extinguished it. Pharaoh now understood who the true God was. And yet, Israel began to complain right away. We don't have any water. We don't have any bread. We don't have any meat. So what did God do? He gave them those items. But when they refused to go into the land of Canaan, because 10 of the 12 spies sent there were really worried, thinking that they would be defeated by the Canaanites, God sent them back into the wilderness for another 38 years so that all those who did not have the faith would be dead and only their children and grandchildren would be able to enter into the land of Canaan. Well, that's a promise God gives you. Your land of Canaan is heaven itself. God will lead you to heaven because the Holy Spirit has given you faith in not only Jesus Christ, but in God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Be with us next week as we continue our study of law and gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.